Shri Guru Parampara Ki Jai Shri Shri Gaurada Madhava Ki Jai Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanandi Good evening everyone and welcome What's your name? My name is Lalita Lalita, nice to meet you so, uh, Karnamrita Prabhu had asked me to speak on the Dhammadar Astakam during his visit here, which was scheduled for tonight, but he hasn't arrived. So, we'll hold off on that and discussion until tomorrow evening, which should take us uh, through uh, most of his uh, visit here, I, um, I'm hoping. Um, and so tonight we'll ask for questions. Any question? Yes. Uh, I have a question about what Sri Maharaj said uh, about Madhya Madhikari stage. Mm. Madhya Madhikari, that I think he was saying something that uh, Madhya Madhikari can outthink himself. Can do what? Like outthink himself into being an atheist. Uh huh. And I was just wondering, you know, what are the like, what is the progression for Madhya Madhikari to go that direction? You know, like. Mm-hmm. What would be the steps, you know, for him to check himself? Mm-hmm. 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 To some, for somebody else to notice something like that. How does it work? You all understand the question. The question is that Pujapatrita uh, Maharaj said Madhya Madhikari could become an atheist. So um, the question of Rahinandan is, how does that happen? How does that unfold? And um, perhaps how does it avoid it, and so forth? Um, and I think that um, really essentially uh, what he meant by that in order to welcome, welcome to get at that is to um, look at the idea of the Madhyamadikari. Madhyamadikari of course means the intermediate devotee and um, we have the, the Kanishta, the, 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 the novice, the Madhyam, the intimate and the Uttam, the superlative devotee and it's a big subject in itself. Um, Rupa Goswami speaks about these three de- types of devotees, if you will, all um, determined or defined, I should say, by the measure of their faith, which really means their their experience, having had doubts cleared to one extent or another. And... and Thus, or accordingly, their eligibility to tread the path. The deeper our faith and our experience, the more easily uh, we will tread the path. The weaker, the less informed our faith is with the scriptural argument from with which the faith comes, um, the, the more uh, likelihood that we're going to be distracted and so forth. So these are the two ends of the spectrum. Well... This is, this, this is the spectrum, a spectrum of faith. And faith is distinguished from here, really, from belief, um, which is an intellectual kind of a affair. Mm-hmm. Um, but faith arrived at through association and subsequent 
scriptural argument that the, the sadhus uh, represent in the world. They explain the tattva, the argument, that the idea of, of revelation, the necessity to arrive at comprehensive or perfect knowing by a perfect method rather than by an imperfect method. Our means of knowing materially our sense perception and reason, these are imperfect methods for arriving at perfect knowing, even while they may be perfectly good for arriving at other types of, of knowing. Hmm? But the kind of knowing that will make one fully satisfied, uh, that cannot be arrived at by empiricism or, or, or rationalism, is the idea. And so there must be another way of knowing, and if it is to be a kind of knowing by which we arrive at perfect knowing, by which we are perfectly and happy, perfectly happy, perfectly informed, and thus by which our actions that arise from that are perfectly satisfying. If there is such a type of knowing, then the means to arrive there must be perfect also. So we can't use imperfect means unto themselves. That means that that there's another type of knowing that constitutes perfection revealing itself to imperfection. So, perfection cannot rise out of imperfection, but imperfection cannot arise out of perfection for it to be so. So if out of its perfectness it chooses to reveal itself to the imperfect, out of its perfectness then that becomes possible. That is the, the basic idea of Revelation. It's not a dusty old book that, you know, you can't understand. It doesn't make sense in the modern times. It's a principle. Hmm? Um, now, whether there is perfect knowing and perfect knowledge, someone may debate whether there is at all, right? Um, we, of course, maintain that there is. Some people may maintain that there's not. But I think it's fair to say that everybody looks for it, nonetheless. Hmm? Even if they say it doesn't exist, we're really all striving for some sense of perfection, some sense of 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 a um, of betterment hmm? that um, in every field, really. I've said it before. Everyone is looking for and really celebrating moments in which we, relatively speaking, transcend the order of the day. Hmm? Um, I'll give an example just recently. Welcome. The Olympics passed, and so it's it's a good example of what I'm talking about. Welcome. Hmm? Because in the Olympics, we're looking for someone to run one ten thousandth of a second, you know, faster than somebody else, and they'll get a gold medal and it'll be celebrated and and so forth. And uh, um, and so in the in the realm of sports, in the realm of uh, politics, someone goes beyond the norm and uh, and um, uh, you know a, 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 a Mr. Uh, a Gandhi or a uh, um, as may be the case, uh, and so forth. Um, so in all, in a sense, spheres of life, we um, are expressing in our pursuit of transcending the norm, again, relatively speaking, 
going beyond the norm, going to one ten thousandths of a second faster, or making you know the greatest comeback, you know, or whatever may be the case, discovering you know the new planet, uh, all the uh, all the ways in which we make breakthroughs, if you will, and, and and push the envelope and go beyond the norm. This is what everybody's living um, to celebrate. Hmm? And from the point of view of Vedanta, this is really this, the Atma, the self, that's coming to the fore in human consciousness and feeling, if you will, or sensing itself in a way that it doesn't sense itself in the less complex forms of life, being less manifest and more obscured by, uh, by nature. Hmm? In human life, nature, so to speak, discovers that it has a, has a soul. Hmm? In other words, the, 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 there's self-awareness to a, to a, a greater, uh, um, considerable measure, and so the question why and contemplation and purpose and meaning and value are uh, distinguishing characteristics of the human um, society, uh, and so from the point of view of Vedanta, all these attempts for, you know, putting the basketball within the net without even touching the rim, you know all these little instances of perfection are all about the self coming to the fore in, in, in nature and sensing itself and thus the human sensibility that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. And we're looking for it here and there and it, it's us is the idea. It's us actually. Hmm? And, uh, and so, and the, so, and the means of realizing that perfection, of course, is different than we might go about trying to improve ourselves in other, any other form of life or in human form of life. It's not by a, a rajasic method of our improvement, but by uh, introspection, moving uh, in the opposite direction, go within or go without. Uh, so, something like that. So. In both ends of the spectrum, the, not, the, 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 the Vedantist, the transcendentalist, and let's say the, the materialist, there's a sense, uh, if we, regardless of what anybody may say they believe, each sector is moving in life as if they feel, believe, or sense that there's something m- more to be attained, some type of greater knowing, sense of perfection. We're living for that, so to speak. So my point was only that uh, some people say there is perfect knowledge, some people say there is no perfect knowledge. Both groups are pursuing it implicitly. So who's crazy? Hmm. And then the group that is pursuing the perfect knowledge to do so perfectly must have a perfect method, again, to reiterate. And that means that perfection, out of its perfectness, has the capacity to real, reveal itself to the imperfect. Hmm? Within perfection there can be within perfection there can be no imperfection for it to be so. Hmm? Imperfection, on the other hand, can become perfected not unto itself. Perfection does not rise out of, out, of, out of imperfection, but perfection has the capacity 
to make the imperfect perfect. Hmm? So this is the principle then of revelation. So if there is perfect knowledge, you have to have a perfect method. The the, the products of imperfection, uh, a set of senses, a, a rational faculty, hmm? which are means of knowing, relatively speaking, by the senses we may know things perfectly, some things, hmm? and uh, by reasoning we may also know, hmm? but because they themselves are products of imperfection, they're, they're, they're the parabda, manifest karma, for example, and unto themselves they cannot give us perfect knowledge. They can be used, utilized by perfect knowledge out of its perfectness. Hmm? You can use imperfect instruments hmm, to assist us in arriving at the perfect knowledge. So the folded hands, this is the way of perfection, to go beyond my limits, my <laughs> and 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 uh, uh, seek uh, help from from above. And to, to it said that I, that that if you love someone, then they'll tell you all their secrets. So it's a very powerful method even though it's kind of a doing nothing in, in, in a sense. It's, there's no effort there, um, in, in a sense. It's not a something you, you carve out and as a rugged individual and uh, find the secrets and uh, exercise of your brain. And love knows no reason. It's kind of a turning off of the brain, if you will, and um, an exercise of, of the heart. Uh, of course, we're using material... Um, bodily parts and, 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 and what not to try to explain it, but we're limited by language. So an exercise of the heart, and, 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 and if there is an effort of the head, it should be to use the head to soften the heart and to approach reality with uh, the idea to serve. As Prabhupada used to say, if you love someone, then you serve them. So if you approach reality with the disposition of serving, of loving, then all its secrets will reveal, reveal, be revealed because nobody keeps anything from the people they love, really. In love, we we become one. So, this is this is really a, a perfect way of knowing. And so, there's idea of revelation, which means again not some dusty old book that doesn't make sense anymore or something like that. But but that perfection. Um, uh, reveals itself on its own um, terms, hmm. and um, if we apply ourselves accordingly, then uh, we can arrive at perfect knowing and be perfectly yayatnasam um, hmm, fulfilled. Action is informed by knowledge, so that perfect knowledge will give rise to the kind of action that we call perfect knowledge, that again that will give rise to, to bhakti, the abhideya, which will in turn um, bear the fruit, the result, prayojan, of prem, prem, prayojan. Hmm. So this is the basic idea. And, and so when we talk about faith with regard to eligibility to tread the path, as we are, and I should back up, we were going to discuss the Dhamma but you were late, so I thought we'd put it off till tomorrow, so I asked for questions, so the question came. That Pujapachitramar said, it's possible that a Madhyamadhikari could become an atheist, so the question is, how does that happen? Um, and perhaps, 
has a footnote, how could it be avoided? So um, I have referred in answering the question thus far to Rupa Goswami's Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu, where he speaks about the uh, different um, really levels of eligibility to tread the path, each of which is determined by a measure of faith, and that faith, properly understood, is faith in the argument of the scripture, of revelation, hmm? which is explained by the sadhus. So, so we get the faith from those who have it, and those who have it are kind of... Uh, moving, if you will, proceeding on the map of the sacred text. They're looking at the attainment of perfection through the lens of the map of, of revelation. So what they say, as Prophet often used to tell it, would be has to be supported by scripture or the logic that supports scripture. So there's an instance where logic applies. Since 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 application applies. If you're going to read the book, you have to use your eyes, right? Hmm? Um, but your eyes are imperfect. But uh, but you have to use your reasoning to understand what the book is saying and so forth. Hmm? But these are properly understood. These are instances of bhakti using the mind, using the reasoning power, using the senses, applying these imperfect means in ways that they can help us, assist us to arrive at perfect knowing. So when we talk, that's an important point, when we talk about revelation, it's not just, uh, you know, you, you stop thinking and somebody's going to do all the thinking for you. Spiritual life's not like that. We want that because thinking about the meaning in life is troublesome. The why question is very troublesome. So often we, we, we resort to just being an animal, not asking the why question. Einstein said the reason he was smart when asked once that he said, I never stopped asking the questions that children ask, which parents often say, don't ask that question. Hmm? That can't be answered. You know, why this? Why that? Why everything? Hmm? Why? Don't ask. Just do. Hmm? So that why question hmm, really, as I understand it, of course, is a quality question. Why? Purpose? Meaning? Value? And so forth. This all drive from the self. A consciousness is, is a unit of value. Matter only has a matter if, if it matters to us. Um, otherwise it doesn't. So our self, and we human life itself is a question, the question why. It is an existential crisis. As the Atma comes out from underneath the influence of, the, of, of nature to an extent that it can start to feel itself and, and it, it's a the why question isn't how to eat, how to sleep, and so forth, how to protect yourself, that nature can answer, as she does, and provides all the species with that information. Hmm? They all know what to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, and within some, relatively speaking, how to defend themselves. Hmm? We have trouble with all those things, because we don't ask why enough. If you ask why enough, then the how questions become subservient to answering the why. This is the really, the really a problem, solution to the economic crisis, environmental crisis, political crisis, and so forth. It seems like a folly because who's going to do that? Well, not too many people, that's a fact, but, but it doesn't make it... Uh, perfection is, 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 is a rare thing. And everyone's pursuing it, so... Sadhana really 
properly understood, that means by which we absorb our minds, hmm? not externally but but internally, just to put it real simply, is is a system of arriving at that which everybody wants their kids to do and and uh, be like, and the result of which. But but no other method is 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 aimed particularly and exclusively at that. Hmm? So it's not some weird thing. It's really what everybody is. Everybody wants their kids to be kind, to be thoughtful, uh, um, not to be greedy, what um, to, um, to be insightful, to be the best person, better than themselves, could be something like that. Uh, um, so here's an idea of perfection that's difficult to argue with. Whether it even exists or is attainable, that's another argument. But in one sense, everyone's looking forward. You know, the movie ends happily ever after. We want that. <laughs> we want there to be uh, a goloka. We want everything to end happily ever after. So, does that exist? This is the question. The Buddha says no. It's folly to pursue. Hmm? That is his statement. Hmm? Stop pursuing. Hmm? Stop chasing after it, as everyone is, in relation to things, hmm? and then suffering, which is, that's true. Hmm? But you have to compare the Buddha's notes with the Shankar's notes, who says... Besides matter, there's consciousness. And then that with Ramanuja's notes. All these people are pretty happy, even the Buddha. He has no suffering. So, so their point is, yes, to pursue um, perfect happiness and enduring happiness in relation to things that don't endure and aren't perfect and will be here today and gone tomorrow. That is a real recipe for, for suffering. Hmm? Because if you like the things that you can't keep, then they become that much more miserable for us when the fact that we can't keep them becomes apparent. So that doesn't mean there aren't, there isn't, I don't even want to say it, but the language is limited, something worth attaining that's not a thing. Hmm? Something ourself, it's not a thing. The best things in life are not things. Ourself and our um, source. If ourself is is exists in an enduring sense unlike the things that are here today and gone tomorrow and if our self is cognizant unlike matter that doesn't matter and if our self is a unit of of a possibility of, of love ananda if it's these three things in some small measure then the first two orbit around the third. Knowing and being orbit around loving. And loving in the full measure requires a significant other. It cannot. Be, it has to be a consciousness other. Hmm? Um, and that is, of course, the idea of, of Krishna. Hmm? 
Hmm. So, just a little bit of the scriptural argument, right? It kind of put it in broader, you know, universal uh, terms, if you will, um, and the idea, the principle of revelation, so that we don't, you know, wonder if we're crazy over here with the, what we're doing. Um, so, the extent to which someone has has heard hmm, and been able to take advantage of the argument, then, then, if you will, then their ability to tread the path that the argument further chalks out with its details and so forth, so on and so forth, which may not make sense unless you're inside of the sambanda, the conceptual orientation, it won't make sense. Why do you do that? Someone is asking that. Why do we wear a tea lock? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, we did give a long answer, but <laughs> but uh, you got to get I- I- inside the uh, conceptual orientation because the things that we do that constitute bhakti, the abhideya, arises out of the conceptual orientation we have, just like everyone's actions do. Actions follow a particular conceptual orientation. If we see the world in a certain way, we're going to vote for, you know, <laughs> the other guy, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, so, um, so bhakti is a particular conceptual orientation. It's given to us by the Goswamis, the founding acharyas of the Sampradaya, who are the architects of it, whose literature takes from the greater body of revelation, distills it, and brings out its essence and gives what we call the bhakti shastras. Authors, subsequent authors like our Prabhupada and others, follow the lead of that and and uh, explain according to time and circumstances the scriptural argument. And if, as much as we come within that, which is why Prabhupada used to pr- often pride himself, you know, we've written 60 books. And he was thinking in his real you know, generous kind of way of looking at his disciples, and they're reading them. <laughs> uh, that may not be entirely the case. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, he did put a lot of effort into that, staying up at night when we were sleeping to write the book. So, you know, I've written a couple of lines here and there. It's nice to know when, when people read them and, and, uh, and uh, you know, that was interesting. So, um, this is um, mm, Guru Devaya Vidmahe Krishna Nandaya Dimahi. So, so the the books, and and we therefore we call shraddha faith. We we further distinguish it again to distinguish it from just intellectual belief. Shastriya shraddha. So, faith in the descending argument and the the whole conceptual orientation which is going to foster a certain type of activity, which is going to make you different than other people in terms of how you act, because they have a different conceptual orientation. So before you explain your acts to people, which might be weird to them, it's good to explain your conceptual orientation and compare notes. What's your conceptual orientation? Why do you do the things that you do? Hmm? Are you under the impression that that the brain is... The mind is the brain. There's no such thing as an atma. Is that your idea? And why are you doing anything? There's no meaning in that life then. Hmm? Hmm. 
why are you talking about meaning and criticizing me when, when all meaning is made up? So if I made up mine, <laughs> what's, what's the problem? You made up yours. Uh, that's the idea of materialism. So you've got no reason to complain about religion. Hmm? Of course, unless it's misrepresentative, which it often is, of, uh, of what, it, what it says at its heart, and so on and so forth. So, so, so faith means faith in the scripture. Now, not everybody, not everybody's a scriptural genius, or supposed to be, uh, in one sense. Uh, everyone doesn't have the same intellectual capacity, but everyone should tax their intellectual capacity fully. Hmm. This is the idea. And there are two types, of course, of Bhagavatams, the book Bhagavatam and the person Bhagavatam. So our capacity to penetrate the literature with spiritual intellect and draw from it um, as much as we can is one thing, and our lack in that regard is made up for our ability to attach ourselves to the person Bhagavatam who can do that and serve him or her hmm? um, faithfully. So... Hmm? According to the measure of our Shastriya Shraddha, then we are defined, if you will, or, or categorized, I should say, by Rupa Goswami as either a novice, an intermediate devotee, or a superlative devotee, a Kanishta, Madhyam, and Uttam. Hmm. What, now, what makes the difference between the Madhyam and the Uttam in a general sense, as I'm saying, a greater acquaintance with the scripture and embrace of the scriptural argument. You might hear the script, you know, we hear the scriptural argument and we hear some things and we don't hear other things and we hear some things wrong. That's just a fact hmm? of our conditioning. And we get on the path and we may find in time that actually you're here for the wrong reason. <laughs> this is what it really says and this is what we're really doing here. And then you have to, oh, uh, separate yourself, if you want to go forward on it, from your own ideas. That's why I have said often that the tattva, the philosophy, the siddhanta, is not different from the bhava. So those who want to throw out the tattva and just go for the bhava, they don't understand that the bhava is arising out of a ground of tattva. Hmm? It's not different. It's a conceptual orientation to to life that if you don't have it in place, this... this 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 bhava will not, not not arise. It arises out of that. Hmm? So it's important then. Therefore, Bhaktivinoda describes in his uh, Bhajan Rahasya the anartha, if you will, of um, uh, Brahma Tattva, confusion about basic principles of the Tattva of the Siddhanta. Those should be cleared up. That's what sadhus are for. They're meant to help us for that. They're not meant to just come and pat us on the back and say, everything's okay, you know, carry on, just chant and be happy. I mean, there's a place for that, but there's a, but there's a place for the sadhu to challenge our understanding, even to use different vocabulary to make us, you know, think again and so forth. And what, and the idea is to engage your intellect because the Madhya Madhikari, the, 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 the intermediate devotee, is characterized in the Bhagavatam as one whose intellect is absorbed. Hmm? You can go through the motions, and that is pretty much how the neophyte is described. Imitation of a good thing is a good thing. Go through the motions. Hmm? Gurudev's doing this, so she's doing that, so I'm going to do this too. He's doing that, so I'm going to do that. And looks good. 
and of course you get some understanding and, and, and so forth. But what does Bhagavatam say then about the intermediate devotee? It says that, what is the verse? Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttamoshloki Bhakti Bhavati Nashtiki. What is the first line? Nasta Prayeshu Abhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. So Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. In order to seva, to do seva, to serve the Bhagavatam, either the person Bhagavatam or the book Bhagavatam, both of which Krishna's Kaviraj has beautifully explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Are the are required are the are the the uh, vehicles through which the preem of Mahaprabhu is given to the world through the person Bhagavatam and the book Bhagavatam. One, the book Bhagavatam is a passive agent of divinity. The other, the sadhu is an active agent of divinity. So, for example, very simply, the book cannot ask you. So, do you understand? The sadhu can go after you and say, do you understand? No, that's wrong. You have no said, and so forth. So these two are um, required. Hmm? Uh, book alone is, 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 is not sufficient. And, and, and any, 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 any thoughtful person could understand that themselves. I mean, when I first read uh, one of Prabhupada's books, I, you know, I want to meet him. <laughs> this is only part of the thing. <laughs> what he wrote, what about him, the person? Hmm? Or those kinds of persons hmm, that he's speaking about in there, hmm, and so forth. So, so nasta prayeshu bhajeshu nityam bhagavata sevaya. So, this is Vishwanath Chakravarti has pulled this verse from the Bhagavad and said, this verse um, explains nishta, the uh, which is really the. Uh, the, the stage in, in bhakti that is the beginning of the intermediate hmm, um, level of eligibility. Hmm. Prior to that, we have anishta, etc. So the practice is steady. The, re, the practice is steady, which means that the mind is taken, the senses are taken in other directions, and so forth. Both of which will not happen if the intellect is is fixed. Hmm? So, the, it, and, and to study the Bhagavatam, obviously it takes, you have to use your intelligence. It's a, it's a huge book, 18,000 verses, and in, especially if it's written in a language that you don't know, and, and at a time, speaking to a particular culture, although to all time, still when a text manifests, it's going to be that much more relevant to the time. It's going to draw examples from the culture that it appears in and so forth, which will click with you more than camels eating thorns click with the average American. Like, you've never seen that, you know, um, kind of idea. So, um, therefore, the need for the ongoing commentary and so forth, that the commentarial, you know, um, tradition is very important. Prophet said his purports are more important than the verses. This is the principle. Hmm? Um, so, and that means also that revelation is an ongoing affair. It's a conversation with the absolute. It's the answer to the question, why? And the answer comes, and then we can reply, and it can go on. And so Prophet compared the sacred texts to law books. 
when I first heard the example, I thought, wow, that's great, they're laws. Okay, we, now we know. It's like this and it's not like that. And Prabhupada often spoke like that. It's not like this, it's not like, in a very kind of black and white way. At a time in my life when spiritual life and Eastern philosophical and spiritual influences were about in the world and there there was a lot of like, it was hard to kind of get a handle on it, so to speak. Prabhupada had a way of saying, it's not like this, it's not like that. This is, it was authoritative in a way, in a positive way. And so it like, you could get in there and you could grab onto it and start practicing and you could get some experience. Hmm? Um, so it was very useful. Of course, Rajib, you know, his, his, his whole antakarn, his subtle body was completely under the influence of Baba, so it's moving in a certain way and he's speaking in, in a certain way and writing in a certain way under that influence. And you can see how it was useful at the time in particular. So Krishna used him in that way. It doesn't mean that that way of speaking about it is the only way to speak about it in all times, in all places. That would be a big mistake and constitute a very much a misreading of what he himself wrote in, in, in essence and explained. Hmm? If he's an empowered devotee, which he was, then he's empowered in a particular way. Rupa was not empowered like Sanatan. Sanatan was empowered differently from Rupa and Raghunath, Nityananda Prabhu, and so they're all different. All their influences are important. They're equally extraordinary. What can you say? Hmm? Hmm? But Bhagavan using them in different ways. That's what it means that the Bhava, Shuddha Shatva Visheshatma, Prema Suryam Sushamyabak, Rujibis Chitta Mashrina. It takes over the Bhava takes over the the chitta, the manas, buddhi, hankar, hmm? and then you function in a particular way. And, you, and, and look, if you look at the results in time and circumstance, you see that? Perfect. Hmm? The time and circumstance change. It's an important point. So, so, um, so, to get a handle on it and go forward and mix and, and get some experience and experience then is, is, is very confirming when you get a little sense of the uh, the uh, abbas the shadow of the bhava and your hair stand on end and you weep you think this is different <laughs> this is this, uh, this is entirely different than anything material and I want to go in this direction so and so forth. So that's the idea in one sense, to practice in such a way that we get experience. So, at any rate, I'm saying the book, the Bhagavatam that we do, that we serve by hearing and so forth, the person Bhagavatam, let's look at the book first, it requires use of your intelligence to understand it. It requires the help of the person Bhagavatam to understand it. But we have to use your intelligence in both cases. If you want to serve the person, Bhagavatam, you have to use your intelligence too. Because if you were serving Prabhupada and you weren't using your intelligence, you'd be dismissed. <laughs> Bring someone else, okay? <laughs> this guy's not using his brain in Krishna's service. You know, she, so uh, that's the teaching. But that's a challenge. Hmm? You see, as we go up the material hierarchy from sense objects to senses to mind to intelligence, there's a hierarchy becomes more and more subtle. Hmm? And so if I say to you, you know, if I criticize your body, you know, I say you're, you're uh, too short or too tall or too fat or too thin or something like that, uh, you might go, well, whatever, you know. 
But if I say you're stupid, that's another thing. That you've taken it to another level. Hmm. You've insulted my intelligence. Hmm. So we we identify more as we go up with on the hierarchy of matter, with uh, because we are more subtle and categorically different than even the intelligence, but. Um, um, so, anyway, to engage the intelligence, this is required. Bhagavatam is calling on that. One who does that is, uh, is, 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 is trying to understand the essence of the argument, what's being said there, what's universal about it, what might be relative according to the time and circumstance, what is part of the packaging, and what's what's the actual gift inside and so forth the bhagavatam is constructed in a certain way it's it's not you know it is a literary work in a particular genre it's a puranic genre certain things are going to be included in order to make it part of that genre and so forth what is its essence and then you have Prabhupada making statements like oh and the other planets there are thousands of volumes and and you have in the bhagavatam itself it's spoken by Sukadev. It's it's spoken by Vyas to Sukadev. It's spoken by Narada to Sukadev. It's spoken by Brahma, Krishna to Brahma, Brahma to Narada. It's spoken by Sankarshan to the Kumaras. It's like, wait a minute, where did it begin? You know, it's in one sense the whole thing is trying to, with regard to time, is take you beyond the need for historical time, and and and, and so forth that it that exceeds the limits of. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so, many beginnings, no ends. Um, you know, this is what you're entering in the conversations within conversations, questions and answers, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, it, you have to use your intelligence to study what what it what it what it's what's it's what's being said there. Um, um, and so, nishta is characterized like this by the. Um, Use or absorbing one's intelligence in the scriptural argument and in one's service hmm, to the person Bhagavatam. Hmm? And they, they, they go to get so Nasta Prayeshu Bhagavatam Nityam Bhagavata Seva. Bhagavati Uttamashloki, Bhakti Bhagavati Naishtiki. Naishtiki means Nishta. He comes, she comes to Nishta. Hmm? Now your question is having come to Nishta or being an intermediate devotee. As has been said, you cited Puja Patrita Marsh, the need intermediate devotee could become an atheist. So how does that happen? So it happens like this that when we use our intelligence very um rigorously, um in, in what what's happening is we have some faith, initial faith, tender faith, Komal Shraddha, which characterizes the, the novice, Komal Shraddha, tender tender faith. Again, we have some faith, but we may not. We may even be on the path and understand some things wrong and think that's what it's about, and that's why I'm on it, and I like that. You know, like someone says, for example, hey, you know, in our tradition, you're an individual. Don't you think that's good? Yeah, I like to be an individual. I think that's great. Now, the Mayavadis, they say, you're not an individual. I don't like that. Yeah, I'm an individual. And so, you know, meanwhile, <laughs> you're not that individual. 
based on your physio-psychological makeup, and that all has to be deconstructed and so on. When you start hearing that, you're like, I don't know if I want to be on board with this. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I like myself, you know, or whatever. So you, you get to take it to another level, and then the faith is challenged and so forth. So the faith is tender. Hmm? And when we start to, uh, when we, when, and, and faith is divine. Let's give it that, right? This is, the, this is faith in transcendence. When we start to look at that faith, which is t- divine but tender, hmm, through the lens of the intellect, hmm, then it gets challenged. So if you take steel and you want to make it stronger, what do you do? You put it in the fire. Hmm? And if you pull it out, just before it melts, let it cool down, and it becomes stronger. But if you keep it in there for too long, it becomes soft and melts and goes away. Hmm? So this is how an, a middle, I say, uh, intermediate devotee can become an atheist. Because now he or she is going to use their intellect to examine the faith in Scripture by looking at it. And when you look at the Scripture with the intellect, well, it's not going to entirely measure up to the intellect. Because intellect unto itself is not an instrument that is suitable or capable of of, of arriving at the um, um, conclusion. Hmm? If we look at the text just with our intellect, as I said, intellect can be used, but unto itself, it's a problem. That's what the Bhagavatam says, of course. Um, as a commentary on the sutras, which it is, let's go to the sutras. What is said there? Tarko, Pratishtanat. Tarko means logic, reasoning, hmm? looking at things through that lens, unto itself, what is the result? Tarko pratishtanat. Sutra said, there's never any conclusive knowledge that can be arrived at simply by the exercise. You cannot, cannot arrive at conclusive knowledge by intellect alone. There can always be another argument, and another argument, and another argument, and another argument. And if you say, well... I make the same argument against your point. That intelligence, that logic is inconclusive. You're just confirming what the sutra is saying. Hmm? There's no real permanent standing. And then you listen to the debate, you know, you can go this side, that side. I mean, you, relatively, of course, you can come to some conclusion about something. But conclusive knowledge about the whole picture cannot be arrived at by the instrument of intellect. So, it's a fine act, if you will, a subtle act of using the intellect in bhakti as opposed to being used by your intellect. Hmm? When you're used by your intellect, then, you, then it's a problem because there, you're not going to be able to penetrate by that method into the essence of the scripture and so many things will throw you off and people with thousands of heads and hundreds of arms and for example, and uh, and and, and uh, uh, you know, there's only Vrindavan's only this big. Nanda Marsha, nine hundred thousand cows. I don't think they fit in that you know area. 
And, and Prabhupada said, the disciples said that, you read too much. So, so there's a very, uh, it's an art then to use one's inte- head to soften one's heart. Mm-hmm. That's the exercise. So this has to be, when you enter into it, this has to be the idea to begin with, that my intellect is going to raise doubts mm-hmm. that themselves are, are, are that, that itself is, is problematic. So Bhagavatam is, a, is, a, is, a, is, an, is an arresting and using of the intellect but it in, involves a kind of a bashing of the intellect to put it in its place, put it in its place. Because we're used to knowing well by intellect. And we're being told the kind of knowing that the Bhagavatam speaks about, intellect is will not afford you. So like, I mean, yoga is about knowing by not thinking. Hmm? Knowing, we think that we th- we know because we think, and we're being told thinking is getting in the way of knowing. I mean, it's very backwards, obviously, hmm? from the way we have proceeded throughout our whole human life of knowing. But the but there's an argument. That's why I made it in the beginning that there should be transrational ways of knowing, because the rational way of knowing unto itself is imperfect. Hmm? Um, as far as arriving at perfect knowledge. So there's an argument for that. If you accept that argument, you have to get that argument very much in place hmm? in order that when you approach the the madhyama stage, you you don't get thrown off balance by the application of your intellect. In one sense, the, the demarcation between the novice and the intermediate devotee is the very application of intelligence, examining one's faith, hmm? um, dealing with the gray areas. The black and white that was good <clears throat> got me going. Now, now has to be reexamined, and I see it's turning into you know 256 shades of gray, and and the path is. Ahead is 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 straight. Previously in Anishta, it was like this, hmm? and it was narrow. Can't do it like this. You can't do it like that. But now it's become broad, and rules become like um, realizations, hmm? and have different applications in different times at different places. Verses have different meanings. Bhagavatam has many different meanings from many different angles, hmm? even within the all within the context of of the Siddhanta and so forth. So the road is head is is straight, but it's not narrow. It's broad, hmm? and love, by its very nature, is is um, full of certainty and uncertainty at the same time. It's certainty within uncertainty, or uncertainty within certainty. It's the nature of, of love. Because what lies ahead, hmm? such as the uh, excitement of love, what lies ahead? She loves me, she loves me not. There's Krishna with his you know, four-leaf clovers. You know, he needs his friends to say, she loves you, <laughs> it's okay. She'll let you back in. I'll help. Hmm? Let me let me do a bit your bidding on on your behalf to Radha's group and so forth. So that there, there there's there's you have to understand that 
that Krishna himself has uncertainty about himself. And that is the central um, uh, piece of Gaudiya Vedanta. Krishna is wondering, everybody loves me, all the scriptures say I'm God, the yogis worship me, and here I am, unbeknownst to anybody, worshiping her. What's going on? I thought I was God, all the scriptures say I'm God, but I don't want to tell anybody this, because it'll turn the whole world upside down, but I'm worshiping her. There's something in her that drives me mad. What's going on here? He had these doubts, existential crisis, God in crisis. Hmm? This is the center of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, right? He had these questions. Hmm? And of course, he, he's very thoughtful, so he looks at it and he realizes it is what makes her the way she is, worshipable by me, is something that she sees in me. It's in me, but I can't see it. She can see it from her vantage point. So she knows me better than myself. If I'm to know myself, I have to look at myself through her lens. And this is the birth of another another Leela. Hmm? It's said in Bhagavatam, in the second canto, that Krishna does not know the limits of his Yogamaya, of his Swarup Shakti. He doesn't know the limits. Hmm? Later in the eighty second chapter of the tenth canto, the Shruti, Upanishads are personified are having glorifying the Lord. And they're saying that you are so great hmm? in so many ways, in so many ways. You, 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 your potency has, you don't know the limits of your own potency. And they say, he says, wait a minute, you mean I'm not omniscient? Is that what you're saying? I don't know the limits of my own potency? And they say, yes, because your potency has no limits. So, <laughs> it's kind of Zen, right? <laughs> Like he doesn't know the limits of his own potency because his potency has no limits. And his potency means his sarup shakti. That means yoga mind. It means bhakti. Hmm? It what it does to him, what it does to the absolute bhakti. This is what we're we're celebrating. So there's some kind of um, uh, there's a place for uncertainty. Hmm? It's okay. Love knows no reason. So it's very interesting because now we're talking about moving from the intermediate stage to the superlative stage. Hmm? But in between there, the use of the intellect, people start to do that and and reason about their faith and try to strengthen their tender faith with reason and so forth. And if they don't do it properly with good guidance and have these core ideas in place, and if they have a big intelligence, it can be a problem. Someone who's, who's very intelligent has a bigger burden, hmm? because it needs to be answered, just like your tongue wants to be satisfied. Intellect wants to be satisfied. It wants to take the whole thing and grab it in its fists and understand it. The result will be throwing it out in due course, like everything else it throws out, because it doesn't satisfy it. Hmm? So intellect needs to be beaten up hmm? and then pulled out, used for something. Go back in the cage. Come back. Use Go back. Like you bring out a tiger. You know, There he is. Okay, get back in the cage. Something like that. Because hmm? unto itself, again, if you, 
if you try to enter that realm with the intellect, you you'll be hurled out. Would it, how does that take shape? That you'll have doubts about it. Hmm? That means you're being rejected from there by try, because of trying to enter through a vehicle that is not suitable. Hmm? Hmm? Faith is a suitable vehicle, and intellect is most beautiful when it serves as an assistant to faith. Hmm? When we use intellect to determine not whether or not I should serve, but how I should serve at any given moment. Hmm? This is the spiritual use of intellect. So so there's a possibility hmm, that without good good guidance, I think he's should emerge and make a statement is is just making a point because he was challenging us in some respects, just by the person that he was. I mean, uh, Prabhupada was a spiritual father figure for us, and Sridhar Maharaj was a spiritual uncle for us. And uncles and fathers are the same, and they're different at, this, at the same time. And uh, he assumed that we knew certain things given to us by Prabhupada, and he also told us that in his absence we should examine those things, and and we, that's that's what's supposed to happen at this stage. What 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 did he put in my heart? What did, what does he say? What is the purpose? What is the implication of that? It's really a time in his at the time of his disappearance that really, um, comparatively, it, it's it's probably the a time that most calls for such self reflection and and so on and so forth. And and um, you know. Uh, here we were with our dad. It was easy, you know. Yeah. And now he's gone. What do we do now? Hmm? When I was a kid, we used to, my brother and I used to go ice skating on this pond. And uh, then there were older kids in a, in, a, in, a, in a neighborhood would come and beat up on us. Hmm? We really liked to go ice skating. It was really a problem. It's a very rural area. And so then one day my dad came with us ice skating. So then we could just ride around, um, you know, make faces at them, and so on and so forth. Um, it was easy then, right? But when it's gone, now you you got to become a dad, or you got to become, you know, attached to an older brother or sister or something like that, and make your way and so forth, and grow and and so on. So to have an uncle was very was very um, useful, very helpful. Of course, Prabhupada opened the door to that with his statement that for philosophy, see my God, Brother Rio Maharaj, you know, in my absence when he was asked about that. So um, so anyway, he treated us in a certain way, and he and he caused. Uh, if you were listening to him, he caused you to you know think about what was said and the fact that it could be also interpreted in different ways and circumstances and time and so forth, and really activate the. Uh, uh, the intellect, uh, so he cautioned us at the same time while doing that to us, so to speak. Um, and um, I think it's 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 a good caution. I don't think it happens too often, but I have seen it happen. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen, and it's very uh, and it's very um, unbecoming to see a person that is really a, sl- a slave of their intellect. It's, it's very unbecoming. Especially if they were involved in Gaudiya Vaishnavism and gave it up, because he's, he's apparent to someone who knows and experiences, they don't really, they didn't really get it, they didn't really understand, but they really think they understood it. And they've just passed on from this. This is uh, the, the depth of it. I mean, 
this is a, I mean, it's really true. The Bhagavatam, every word is full of, you know, there's the famous, you know, story. Some father wanted his son to get an education, sent him to Benares. Son came back. Father said, you got an education? He said, yes, very nice, thank you. He said, did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, no, that was not on that was not on the list of the books we studied. And so the father said, well, you didn't, you're not an educated man. Go back to Benares, study Srimad Bhagavatam. So again, he went back, he studied the Bhagavatam, he came back. Father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes, now I understood why he sent me back, because without studying Bhagavatam, you know, you don't know anything. I mean, it's just... It's, and it, we're talking about the sacred text. There's an objectivity, some objectivity to this argument, and it's an argument that's made by the Goswamis, uh, Jiva Goswami in particular, as to the central position of Bhagavatam with regard to the sacred text. So we have the secular text, then we have the sacred text. We distinguish between the two of them in kind. Hmm? Then within them is a very, very, very powerful argument from olden times, and you can make one from present time as well, as to the central position of Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam with regard to all of the texts and how the sacred texts of the Hindus and how they'll be understood in context in relation to the Bhāgavatam. So it really is the center, of, from the Hindu perspective, of um, uh, scriptural uh, revelation. So, anyway, he went, Father said, so you understood Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam? He said, yes, thank you, Father. He said, you go, go back to Banaris then and study Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam again. So he was, okay, so he went back, he studied the second time, he returned, Father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam a second time? He said, yes, and he said, so, so, so then he said, well now, he said, now, I can understand why you sent me back a second time. I didn't understand the first time, I realized after I studied the second time. So, Father said, so you understood that? He said, yes, now I've understood after studying twice. And of course, the Father said, go back to Benares. And study Srimad Bhagavatam again. So again, he went a third time. Again, he returned. The father said, "So did you study Bhagavatam a third time?" He said, "Yes." So now, do you understand Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, "I've come to the conclusion that I cannot understand Srimad Bhagavatam." The father said, "Now you have understood Srimad Bhagavatam. Now you are an educated man. Hmm? You have to understand the idea. If there is not a kind of knowledge that you cannot understand with your intellect, that you cannot grip in the fist of your intellect." then there isn't perfect knowledge hmm, to be had. Hmm? So, if we believe that there is, then there must be transrational methods for arriving at The chanting is not a rational act. It's not irrational to chant, but it's not a rational exercise. It's a transrational exercise. And so, properly understood, is studying the Bhagavatam. Therefore, Sridhar Maharaj told us, studying the Bhagavatam alone without the blessing of a Vaishnava, it's not bhakti. Studying it under the guidance of a Vaishnava, then it becomes bhakti. So, you have to be careful. Intellect unto itself, this can be a, a problem. I think he was just giving a kind of a caution, but I have seen it happen. Excuse me. Yes? How would you advise um, devotees who, doing the exercise of using their intellect to approach the scriptures and study them, Come up, come up against doubts and are haunted daily by doubts. And um, because they are intelligent and they're devotional, they're they're approaching it. But they, they're in this, they're like caught in this quandary where they get, you get caught. It seems like 
that ha- it's, as you progress in Krishna consciousness, that's inevitable almost. When you really look at the literature, it's like, oh, contrary here, or this here, that here. So what would be your suggestion for such devotees? I think that, like I said, you have to have the two Bhagavatams. You have to have the person Bhagavatam and the book Bhagavatam. Hmm. And so I think that you have to have some, you should, we should, we should, we should either be a sadhu or we should serve under the uh, auspices of, of a sadhu. Hmm? Well, that's not what Prabhupada teaches in his book, and that's why you're having doubts, because you're not understanding the point in a practical sense. Um, if there's the book Bhagavatam, and then there's the person Bhagavatam, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the book Bhagavatam with the commentary is now the book and the person. Mm-hmm. The commentary is an extension of the book Bhagavatam. It's not an extension of the person Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, Prabhupada, by his own teaching, is a poor vacharya, a previous acharya. Mm-hmm. Now, do you mean, does that mean after everybody's guru leaves, I've got to get a new guru? No. But if you're reading the books and you're having doubts and they're haunting you, then apparently either serving the book Bhagavatam and the person Bhagavatam as you think about it doesn't work, or maybe it's not working because you got a misunderstanding of what the person Bhagavatam is and thinking it's a commentary. If it's a, if it's a commentary, then what do I need Prabhupada for? I might as well read, you know, just uh, Jiva Goswami's commentary. And I have Jiva Goswami as the person Bhagavatam and the book Bhagavatam. I don't want to go outside Prabhupada, so well, why do, wait for mercy to have the doubts relieved. I'm not suggesting that you go outside of Prabhupada. I'm suggesting that you understand what Prabhupada's teaching and read what's in the books. I mean, I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, a fellow approached me and he said, um, that he was in, he was involved in bhakti. This was a long time ago, like thirty years ago, and um, shortly, uh, thirty five years ago, shortly after I was, uh, I was uh, serving separately from from ISKCON, and he said that um, uh, he said I had a dream, and in the dream, Prabhupada appeared, and and um, I asked him about. I, uh, having a guru and Prabhupada took me in the next room and there was a sh- bookshelf of all of his books and he said, just read my books. And so his conclusion from his dream was, I don't need a guru because I was interested in a guru and Prabhupada said, just read my books. And I said, no, what Prabhupada said is read the books. <laughs> if you read the books, it says you have to have a guru. <laughs> hmm? And, and, and this idea, you're not reading the books, therefore you have this idea that, that we have a tradition for thousands of years, and within Gaudiya Vaishnavism for hundreds of years. Why should that change suddenly? What's different? You know, the, the solution to the problem hmm, that you're bringing up is what guru, called Guru Parampara, that's what it's called. If I took initiation from such an exalted Vaishnava like Srila Prabhupada, you know, where am I going to find another person that could match the kind of instruction I could get from him? And he's, he's my spiritual master, he's gone, so I'm just waiting it out. Well, maybe you should actively look. 
<laughs> instead of waiting it out. We should look actively. We think it's just, did, did, how did you find Prabhupada? Did you just sit there and open your mouth and food came in? Or did you look? How did you, that's another point. How did you understand that Prabhupada was who he was? Just because he said he was? Just because somebody else said he was? No, because you had to exercise your heart entirely. Hmm? You had to exercise it. You had to be introspective. You heard, you saw, looked good, but you questioned, and, 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 and you made your, your leap of faith, right? That's how you did it. Hmm? And then you got results. So why should it be any different? Hmm? You have to do the same thing. The fact is, first of all, your understanding is wrong. Okay? With regard to the, you're having a problem. You're reading the book and you're having doubts. So you need help to understand the book. Because you're, you're obviously not capable of doing it yourself in such a way as to clear the doubts. So it's not working. So it's obvious that you need the person, a sadhu. Hmm? So then you go look for a sadhu. Hmm? And then how will you know they found a sadhu? How you know Prabhupada's a sadhu? Hmm? I mean, I've had the weird experience of giving a good lecture and some of Prabhupada's disciples were there and they said to me, Maharaj, that was a really good talk, but... You know, and they went, their but meant, but it wasn't supposed to be, because you're, you're just Tripurari, you know, and I used to know you, and, and it's only Prabhupada, and you're in a different group too, and it's not supposed to be like this. Well, if it feels good, do it, you know. <laughs> There's a certain truth to that, uh, spiritually speaking. Hmm? If I feel, and I'm not saying I'm not great or anything worthy, you know, of, of your homage, but um, in principle, a spiritual person, if they can act and speak in such a way as to nourish us, extend our understanding of the scripture, hey, then go with it. If there's some problem down the road, then go somewhere else after that. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's how did he join Prabhupada? I'm like, oh God, what if? What if? Uh, it sounds good. It feels good. It kind of articulates what I'm feeling and I couldn't say myself and so I'm encouraged and but what if he's not what I think he is what if he's not what I feel he is what if this what if that and Muktananda he fell down and then there was this one and that one and and where are you going to be then right hmm? so what you did before to find a sadhu there's a way to find a sadhu it's not just with your head with this whole list of what he shouldn't be like or she shouldn't be like, and go and check it out. Because I can take the same list and apply it to Prabhupada. Hmm? And you could interpret it in such a way as, well, he's not worthy of following. You can do that. Hmm? And then you can even look at things that Prabhupada said and go, I believed that? He said that? Wait a minute. I'm not. <laughs> Why did I do that? Hmm? Because he was able to arrest your intellect. Hmm? And also because words and philosophy are limited in trying to explain or reveal that which is ineffable, beyond thought, beyond word, and so forth. Hmm? But it was good enough to capture your intellect and go into your heart and, and drive you into service and so on and so forth. So you went with it. Hmm? Then you go back and you look at it through the lens of your intellect, and you have to understand. So this, it's a whole art, right? Sadhana is a, is a, is a, is an art. Yoga is an art. Hmm? 
So um, anyway, the, if you're if you're reading the books and it's not working, then you need help. And how do you get help? Then you have to know you need it. <laughs> That's how you get help. <laughs> if you don't think you need it, then then you're not going to get it. If you think and you feel I need it, hmm, then you're, by the transcendental arrangement you'll get good association and you'll know it and you'll feel it. And that's where you have to think, stop thinking, this is feeling good. Now I don't have to think here. I'm, I'm in, it feels good. Hmm? It's, it, 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 the answers are good. The, the explanation is good. It's enlivening. It's, it's, so then, what more do you want? Hmm? And so it's, there's a, you have to understand that you've got a problem and the problems come from circumstances and so forth. I mean, Relation to our God, brothers and gods, for example, or even grand uh, disciples of Prabhupada. I mean, obviously, there was a huge problem after his departure when persons tried to um, represent him and they weren't capable of doing so in such a way as to really um, uh, draw our faith and, 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 and take us to another level, so to speak. Um, not to fault them, I mean, it's big shoes to fill, but um, that just happened. And so then there's this swing of the pendulum over to well, I'm just going to take shelter of Prabhupada. That's a safe thing. Hmm? And then you want to foster your experience on the people who never met him even for 10,000 years or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's not going to work, and it's not even working entirely for you because you're not understanding what it means to take shelter of him in a dynamic way. This artificial idea of keep Prabhupada in the center is like, and it, and it turns out, you know, if you look at it from the other side of the coin, it's offend other Vaishnavas or something like that because they're not worthy of hearing from because I don't know why, they're just not, you know. Um, uh, this is a problem. So you have to... Uh, it's unfortunate because the very principle that is is most instrumental in freeing us from our bondage is the Guru Tattva, which, misunderstood, becomes a huge obstacle to our progress. Hmm? And and just see how the, what kind of non-thinking that is, those are the kind of responses that you're echoing from, you know, people that you've heard. They're just like ridiculous responses that indicate you're not reading the books, you don't understand, you, you, you need help. And so, Would you say that um, being able to traverse the art of using the intellect and questioning your faith and looking at the doubts hard, um, going through that successfully, like, you know, putting the iron in and pulling it back just before it melts so it becomes harder, is that... Would you say that's a mercy? That's a, a uh, ability to do that. Yeah, is that a, like a, a special gift? Is it, it, does it require a special mercy? Not. It doesn't seem like everyone is successful in doing that, even sincerely entering with you. Well, I don't know. I don't think it's. Uh, um, some people are going to be better at it than others, and that's a given. Therefore, the superlative devotee is characterized by the, really the ability Rupa Goswami used the term Shastra Yukti, Shastra Nipun hmm? a scriptural genius who can take the scripture and and draw things out of it that you never you never could have thought of the implications of it in time and circumstance, the essence of it and so forth and Shastra Yukti a kind of logic that that can answer any doubts and bring them uh, and, and, and shed light on the deeper implications of the scriptural argument. So that kind of person is rare, but that's the kind of person we should have guidance from. Hmm? In other words, the Uttama can extend a hand to 
Yeah, yeah. The Madhyamadhikari needs the Madhyamadhikari needs association with Uttamadhikari to become Uttamadhikari. That's true. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, so, if nishta is by definition that the intellect has been arrested by the shastric argument, how then could one lose that faith and become firm through that exercise and become an atheist? Well, there's a nishta in the making, I think is what we're talking about, nishta in the making, the attempt to do that. And and as I said before, what is the difference between the novice and the intermediate really is the attempt to use the intellect and understand the the arguments and and so on and so forth. Therefore, typically, you take and go back to Bhaktivinotakra's time, what you found in Bhaktivinotakra's time was Many people born in Bengal, in Gaudiya Vaishnava families, chanting the holy name and so forth, and not making any progress. Hmm? Not even being respected in the Hindu society, in their hometown in Bengal, where the, you know, the, the tradition comes from and so forth. Hmm? And, and, and he called all those people Kanishtadikaris, hmm? neophytes. They were nominal Gaudiya Vaishnavas, just like your nominal Christian or your nominal, you know, whatever, Hare Krishna. You know, it, it, they're not. It, it, so now, in our case, everybody in this room is like a convert, right? So they had to use some intellect, and and and, and immediately, when we took to the path, so to speak, we were distinguished from the ethnic Hindu, for example. It's, Yes, Jai Sri Krishna, you know, and Jai Ganesh, and Jai, you know, they were making offenses, for example, the holy name, without knowing that there's an there's an offense to think that the name of Shiva and the name of Krishna are one, and Ganesh, and so on and so forth. But because we were converts, our intellect had to be used, and we 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 learned certain offenses, hmm? so we don't do them, hmm? and so forth. And so there's this there's this kind of typical Bhagavatam description of the realization of the neophyte. The neophyte realizes that that Krishna is God, you know, worships the deity, but doesn't have respect for the Vaishnav. Hmm? The intermediate devotee is, is characterized by discrimination, which is the function of the intellect. Discriminate who to associate with, who to not, how to associate with different people. Worship Bhagavan, make friends with contemporaries, learn from other uh, superiors, so on and so forth, and Yakaruti uh, Samadhyama, then to the Uttama. So, meanwhile, therefore we sometimes say there's the Kanishta Kanishta, there's the Madhyam Kanishta, and there's the Uttam Kanishta, and then there's the Madhyam Kanishta, the Madhyam Madhyam, and the Uttam Madhyam, and then there's the Kanishta Uttam. Madhyam Uttam, 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 Uttam. So, so there's, you know, you're given some kind of landmarks and whatnot, but there's a lot of shades in between. And so moving from the Kanishta to the... In, sen- in one sense, comparatively, every new devotee of Prabhupada's disciples was a Kanishta, was a, was a Madhyama, compared to the average Hindu who would come in and ignore the lecture and just put a rupee in the box and pray for a good son and go out, you know, during the Bhagavatam class. Hmm? At the same time, 
people hearing the Bhagavatam class and giving it were the Kanishtas also. They would make Madhyam Kanishtas, something like that. Hmm? Or maybe Uttam Kanishtas giving the class and the Madhyam Kanishtas listening to the class and the Kanishta Kanishtas falling asleep and not interested in the class, and checking out the girls or something, <laughs> you know, in the class. I don't know. Even it gets that bad, I think. So, um, so that's the idea there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so tomorrow, we'll, at your request, we will we'll continue. We will begin the discussion of the Dhamma Drastakam. Shri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Adam Adavaki Jai, Gaur Bhaktivarinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanandi. Jai.